Welcome to episode two of the Fireside Mets podcast here on Empire Sports Media. I'm Daniel Marcello with my good friend Jimmy Riley. How's everything going? Yes, everything's going all right. How about you, Dan? Going pretty good. Um, still waiting for, hopefully, we get some Mets baseball coming up soon. But as we saw, it doesn't look good. As of late, at least, as we saw, the NHL was able to figure something out. But, you know, Marcus Stroman putting out a tweet, I think, yesterday or the day before, basically saying he's not very optimistic about uh, the future of this season. Yeah, I, I read his tweet, and it was, yeah, it was definitely a bummer. I mean, like you said, the NHL is, is starting to make moves of getting back. I was hoping that would kind of start a domino effect with you know, NBA, MLB, of course. But yeah, I don't know. That was that was definitely uh, a bummer hearing Strowman say that. Well, one of the crazier things is that uh, we don't know if it's the owners or the league themselves, but it seems like there's just broken promises, especially with the money, which really the money is what's really holding everything back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's definitely the, the key piece of the puzzle there. You know, obviously the players want to get paid. Obviously the MLB wants to keep making money. And I think that's that's the thing that's really, you know, setting this thing apart is figuring out the financial aspect of it. Yeah, and... Jeff Passan put out a tweet yesterday on this, and the way it breaks down, it just seems like the more money you make, the more of a hit you're taking. As we see, you know, the difference between a guy making two million, he would drop down about seven hundred and thirty-six thousand. Meanwhile, a guy making twenty million loses um, about seventy-five percent of that, and is only making five point five, five point one five million. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to take a hit, you know, whatever the outcome. It's it's unfortunate that it's that it's going to be like that, but yeah, and you know, there's always plenty of people. Uh, I mean, not a, it's a large large crowd on social media or whatever it is, or even you know, Mark Teixeira said the same thing pretty much the a week ago or two weeks ago that the players should be willing to play no matter what, blah blah blah, but. Uh, to put it into perspective, I think if anyone was asked to work at their job for less than they were promised, I think there's always going to be some type of dispute based on that. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you know, like you said, regardless of whether you're, whether you're getting paid $20 million or, you know, minimum wage, if you're getting paid less than what your contract, what your salary says, I mean, it's definitely, you know, you're going to be hesitant. Yeah, and I think, and I think the players... I could be wrong, but the players don't seem like they want all of their money this season. They understand what the situation is, but the, I think that especially with today's not just baseball players, but athletes in general, trust with them between them, ownership, management, trust is such a huge factor for them in wanting to be with this organization or wherever they have to be. Yeah, no, for sure. And... Just thinking about that too, you know, we saw the A's decided that once June comes around, they're not going to pay. Um, they're not going to pay for the four hundred dollars, I think it was, for to get their minor leaguers through these times. And so I think they're not going to be the first team that gets that, that makes this sort of decision. I think now they're just doing it, and now since they're the first one doing it, they're biting the bullet for the rest of the franchises to do the same thing. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I read into that uh, the minor leaguer thing with the A's, and it, it made me wonder, like, you know, minor leaguers aren't obviously aren't getting paid, you know, the big bucks like, you know, Garrett Cole and, and you know, Jacob deGrom and all these, like, big, you know, MLB all-stars. Right. You know, they're, they're getting paid very low salaries, and it makes me wonder, going ahead, are, are these minor leaguers just going to say, screw it, and, and, you know, just kind of drop out? Is that going to create a shortage of, of, you know, players in the future? Well, I think that's definitely uh, a key point because not only have we seen this year that they were going to slash a whole bunch of minor league teams as well, but now it seems like, you know, as a kid we grow up and we think, oh, playing professional baseball, you know, that should be the dream. But unless you're at the major league level, unless you're making, you know, a decent amount of money in the big leagues, you're not really living a dream. You're just, you're pretty much making, working on a minimum wage salary, basically, unless you're a top prospect. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I forget, I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but these players and the minors get paid such a small amount. Plus... The way it breaks down, if you get to the big leagues, it's not like you get, you know, uh, all this money in one day. If let's just say your major league contract is, um, whatever the MLB minimum is, if you're up in the major leagues for two days, uh, the whole season, you're only going to get two. I think is one hundred, two out of one hundred and eighty-one or eighty-two, something like that, of what the original deal is, because that's what your service time is. So it's such a grind that people don't quite understand especially for the minor leaguers more than anyone else yeah no for sure and yeah like you you mentioned service time that's a big question going into this season you know whenever it may start um you know it's it's interesting to see you know how the mlb handles that service time because a lot of you know like the dodgers they just traded away for dugo they they you know really gave it all up for bets and now if they count this service time, you know, Betts is going to be a free agent without even playing a full season as a Dodger. Yeah, exactly. So that's also a big part. I mean, if you look at the Mets roster, um, you look at guys who are heading into free agency years, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys who are heading just into free agency years alone. There's a ton of guys who are going to arbitration years or pre-arbitration and arbitration years but you know outside Erasmo Ramirez, Matt Adams, Eduardo Nunez those are three guys really that were going to be on one-year contracts anyway they're minor league guys really depth guys um Michael Waka and Jake Marisnik are two very interesting guys along with Rick Porcello because they were supposed to be not big parts, but they were key depth pieces for the Mets. And now you just sort of like, who knows what's going on with the, these guys next season. Yeah, definitely. And these guys aren't young either. It's not like they're established big league starting players. They're, Waka is basically fighting for a rotation job. And the only reason he's probably going to be in the rotation if we play again is because of Syndergaard's Tommy John surgery. Yeah. Uh, Porcello's a five star. Mariznick is really a fourth or fifth outfielder on a good team. He's not going to be starting because of you know his bat. His defense is what is making him a major league player. Yeah. Um, and then the rest of the roster, you go to bigger names like Justin Wilson and Marcus Stroman. Those two guys were supposed to be 
extremely enormous parts of the Mets roster. Yeah, um, for sure. And it's hard to pay them just based off of what they did in 20, uh, 2019 because both of them were, were real, I don't want to say inconsistent, but both of them have had down years and they've had really good years like they had last year. Yeah. So, and then the last two guys heading to free agency are Jed Lowry and Cespedes, where those are two guys I think this hurts the most out of anyone else. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point, you know. And especially because we haven't seen them do anything really in, what, a, a year and a half, two years? Um, and hope you would hope Jed Lowry is somewhat healthy if we get baseball again. Yeah, definitely. I would like to see, you know, obviously both, but, you know, we, we've seen Cespedes. We know he's got, you know, all the power in the world. You know, I, I definitely want to see, uh, you know, what kind of damage Jed Lowry can do in a Mets uniform, you know? Yeah, and, it, and there's obviously no expectation really for him, but this sort of moves us into the next thing where the Mets have a lot of DHs on this roster, basically. Uh, yeah. To put a, no other word for it. You know, who do we, who, who would, what sort of combination of DHs, you know, we think is going to work best for what the Mets can possibly do this year? Yeah, I, yeah, you made a good point. You know, we definitely do have a lot of DHs. Like, if Cespedes, you know, does make a comeback, you know, he's definitely a clear-cut fit. Um, he's getting on the older side, so I don't know if, if you know, the outfield would be a good spot for him. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Dom Smith. I think he puts in a lot of hard work. He's definitely got the bat to be a DH. Um, and with Alonzo at first, with, you know, four or five, six outfielders, he doesn't really have a, a set, you know, defensive position. So I think he would be another great fit for, for DH. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Cespedes and Smith are the two top two guys. But the weird thing is, is that, you know, there's been seasons where Cespedes is a great hitting a great hitter against left-handed pitching, and I think it was 2015 or 2016 where he just couldn't couldn't do any damage against them. So yeah. I think it's very tough to figure out. And to me, if Cespedes' legs are under him and he can move fine, to me he's a better defensive outfielder, and at least in left field, than J.D. Davis or Dom Smith. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely agree there. And Again, one of the things that goes overlooked is also the arm. Cespedes has one of the best arms, if not the best in baseball. You know, you put that out there, and maybe you let, you know, there's so many combinations. You let Dom Smith DH, you let Davis DH. Um, Maybe you put McNeil at second base, you play uh, Lowry at third base, and you let Cano DH. There's a lot of different things you can do here. Yeah, there's yeah they they have a lot of different possibilities, and I think you know if they tweak a thing or two here and there, it's it's we're we're gonna be dangerous. Yeah, and I think one of the things that goes overlooked with this DH scenario is Wilson Ramos. I think needs to be in consideration for being a DH. Yeah, that's that's an interesting perspective there. Yeah, because now he shouldn't be the every single day DH, but you think about it, if you're playing in. 80 game season, 75, whatever it is, he's one of your best hitters. You want that guy in the lineup pretty much in every single game you can get him in. Yeah. You yeah. Know, a lot of the pitchers on the Mets have, have kind of favored Nito. So, you know, 
Yeah, that, that's a really good point, yeah. Yeah, Nito or Rivera, because if they make it a 30-man roster, you're going to have the ability to keep three catchers. Plus, Ramos is your best hitter with the runners in scoring position. Um, and plus, you know, let's just say he plays three days in a row and you need to play him day game after night game. All right, you DH, Rivera or Nito catches, you know, and you can keep his bat in the lineup without trying to overwork him because all he has to do is DH. Yeah, for sure. And that's where that's where I think, you know, that 30-man roster could be a huge, I don't want to say advantage, but I think the Mets really, out of all the National League teams, th- those extra four men possibly on the roster works in favor for them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they, they have a lot of guys that, you know, don't have – firm established positions that I think they could really help out the team with that expanded roster. Yeah, and I think one of the things they can do is I think out of those four players that they add on, I think one of them should definitely be, you know, a third catcher in Rene Rivera. Um I think they definitely need another lefty in that bullpen, so I think Zamora is the guy they go to. Yeah. Um and then you have two other spots that I think I definitely think if Drew Smith is healthy, I think a lot of Mets fans forgot about him. If Drew Smith is healthy, that's another good arm that the Mets can possibly throw in the bullpen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I know. I don't, we haven't really heard much on Drew Smith um, since he had the Tommy John surgery, but it's been, I want to, by the time they even start playing again, it's got to be close to a year and a half since yeah. Smith received the surgery. Yeah, I think it is. And I think he goes a little forgotten because in 2018, that team was pretty much bad at the uh, throughout the whole season. And Smith came over, and I think it was the Lucas Duda trade um, to uh, Tampa Bay. So I think he, he pitched great out of the bullpen. And just got to hope that when he comes back, he's somewhat healthy. Yeah. You know, especially with the bullpen the Mets have, they don't really need Smith to be the eighth inning, ninth inning guy he was in 2018. If he's just a middle relief with Gasellman, you know, Wilson and Brock, I think he can pretty much carve out a nice role for himself in the Mets bullpen and maybe replace guys like Brock or um, other guys like maybe if they don't need if Spatanza's ops to leave after the season. You know, the he could fit into that role if they see that he's ready to go after receiving the surgery. Yeah, for sure. And then the fourth, the fourth guy I've, I've really been a little conflicted on because they have a ton of different ways they can go. They have, they can go another pitcher. They can go in another direction, but to me, they don't really have, any pitchers in the minor leagues where you can say, oh, I trust this guy pitching at the big league level right now. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's, we're putting a lot of, uh, we're, we're banging a lot of our cash on, on the guys we do have in the majors now. So, you know, going ahead, it's, it's going to be a tough situation. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when, um, they traded, again, they don't get Stroman for this trade, but a guy like Anthony Kay would have been a perfect guy to maybe throw in on this roster. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, when you talk about this pitching staff, you know, the idea of Seth Lugo maybe becoming a starting pitcher has to be very enticing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he definitely was amazing last season. You know, you, you do wonder what he could do as a starter. 
Yeah, and I think you know, we both talk. Uh, we know the Mets always are concerned with the amount of innings he's throwing, and which again, the guy's pitching with a partially torn UCL. So I think any time you have an injury like that, you want to be cautious. Yeah. Um, but to me, you can go a five or a six man rotation here, and you can have Lugo pitch as either that fifth starter or the sixth starter, and if he's only pitching. You know, once every fifth day, he's not going to break any innings amount that he uh, he set. You know, the last couple seasons pitching out of the bullpen. Yeah, for sure. And I think, and to me, I trust him more than I trust uh, Porcello and Walker. Not that they're bad pitchers, but I think the pedigree that Lugo has is is uh, definitely sets him above them, at least for going into this season. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think Lugo is, is setting up for his prime, whereas I think Porcello and, and Waka, you know, might be, you know, getting out of their prime. Yeah, and to me, and, and I also look at it this way, that if you're in a game four of the division series, you know, if you had to pick one of those three guys to pick, I think the guy you go with is going to be Lugo over the other two. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. Yeah, because you get the ground game one. Strowman, I mean, even Mats. Mats is, I like Mats, but we've seen that he's very inconsistent as well. So you have to figure out which pitcher you're going to get from him as well. Yeah. And I think if Mats struggles, you know, in a shortened season, I think you have no choice but to really give Lugo a starting rotation spot. Yeah, no, I definitely agree there. But, uh, you know, it was like we said, we we're talking about the contracts before. Um, this is really a great time for Michael Walker and Porcello to shine, especially if they have to step up in a role where Matt struggles and now they have to jump up in the rotation and pitch big innings and get the Mets through what looks like a very tough division if they break it up the original way it was proposed. Yeah, I, I definitely think that they uh, they do have a lot to prove, and I think, it, you know, like you said, it is a good time for them to, to show off what they've got. And we'll talk about a little uh sorry i guess fantasy that's been going on for mets fans is that the potential of nolan arenado coming to the mets you know what do we what do you think about that sort of dream scenario for the mets yeah i mean i remember hearing about that uh i guess what a couple of months ago and i i was uh, i mean i i was so doubtful because you know we're talking about the mets here you know they 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 barely make any trades but uh I mean, I think if they can do it, I mean, who wouldn't want Nolan Arenado on their team? I think we would definitely have to, uh, you know, make some adjustments with the lineup, maybe put McNeil at uh, at second, maybe make Cano a DH, something like that. But I think I think we definitely could make it work. Now it's just, you know, lining it up to make it happen. Yeah, and I mean, Arenado is a great player, probably the second best third baseman in baseball. Um, but again, it, I think it's the same thing you have to weigh with, especially if Van Wagnon's making this trade, same thing you have to weigh that you weighed with the Cano trade is that, is it worth to trade um, a guy like, you know, a Kellenic type player? To me, if the Rockies are going to trade for someone, I think the first guy they go after and they ask for is McNeil. To me, that guy is a guy that would put up Larry Walker type numbers in Colorado. Yeah, no, you're definitely right there, and I think I think it would be a tough trade to uh, to accept as a Mets fan, you know, giving up McNeil for Arenado. But 
you know, somebody like, I, I, I know this might be un, unpopular, but I know Nimmo is a fan favorite, but, I, you know, I'd be perfectly fine giving up Nimmo for, you know, an Arenado package. Yeah, I think it's got to be the right price. I think, you know, I like Nimmo too, but I think when people were talking about trading him for Starling Marte, I don't think that was a trade you make. But I think if you're talking about an Arenado type of player, who, again, is heading into his prime, is coming off of MVP year after MVP year. To me, he's not a Coors Field hitter that only has the inflated numbers because he plays there. I think he's a great third baseman, and he really would bring something the Mets don't have, which is a gold glove type fielder in in the infield. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I think you put him in a lineup I think the Mets' really biggest concern in terms of, even without Arenado, just talking about their lineup in general, is making sure they're getting that left-handed power. You know, we, you know, Dom Smith, good bat, but, you know, he, he sometimes doesn't even play enough to show off his power, which is why 12 home runs last season, you know, injuries obviously hurt him. Um, McNeil hit 23 home runs, but, again, he I don't think he's a guy – that is going to be a 25 home run hitter. Do I think he's a 320, whatever he hit 318 last season type of hitter? Yes. Nimmo got, he's got power, but I think that's where Michael Conforto to me is one of the biggest and key factors the Mets have in this lineup. Yeah, definitely. You know, his power bat is something, you know, I think it goes underrated. I mean, he put up numbers, on par with Bryce Harper last year, and I think a lot of that goes overlooked. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, everybody hypes up Bryce Harper to be, you know, one of the one of the best. But you know, they they don't look at at the stats. You know, like you said, Conforto has very similar stats to Bryce Harper, and, and he has you know nothing near the, the hype that Harper has. Yeah, I mean, the Mets really have a bargain with him. I mean, they're not paying him. He he's not paying as much as he deserves to make, and. He's got an ability to play all three outfield positions, which is crazy because five years ago when he first was coming up through the system, they were thoughts about him having to move to first base because he couldn't play the outfield. Yeah. So I think he, I think to me, he's the most important bet in this lineup. Other than Alonzo, you know, even even more than Alonzo, I think he's the most important bet that the Mets have in this lineup. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he, he's got the perfect, you know, balance of, of power and contact. You know, you can hit home runs, you can hit doubles. You know, I, I think offensively, you can really do it all. Yeah, and his his walk, his ability to walk, too, is something that is very key. And especially, he's a guy you can bat in front of Alonzo because, one, you know how selective he is um, at the plate. But you also know that if you throw him a fastball down and in, he I don't he very rarely misses it left or right handed. If you throw him a fastball down, it could be in even down the middle or away, he will not miss it. And I think pitchers are going to pitch to him because I don't think anyone wants to face Alonzo with runners on base. So I yeah. think you know that could be a very um, that could be a one two punch that you could put up there with you know a, a healthy Stanton and Judge. Um, you know, Arenado and Story. You, know, you can put it up there with anyone in baseball. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think looking at the rest of this Mets team that, you know, I was looking at this a couple of days ago, was that 
I think Ahmed Rosario has is a guy that the Mets have that can hit uh, 25 home runs. Be a 25 home run hitter to me. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. You know, especially at the end of last season, he definitely started hitting for more power. Yeah, and I I looked at some of the stats here, and one of the things that really popped out to me was that he hit more balls at 95 miles an hour than anyone on the Mets. But the difference between him and Alonzo was that Alonzo's average launch angle was, I want to say, around 14 degrees. Meanwhile, Rosario only had an 8-degree average launch angle, which is a huge difference, you know, because those doubles he's hitting could easily turn into home runs. Yeah. And he's got the frame for it, too. Yeah, for sure. He's a big. He's a bigger shortstop, and I think he's. But I mean, we look at his swing too. His swing is very. I don't want to say upright, but he's got a very. Um, he's he's he stands up in his swing basically. He's he's not as crouched down as say Conforto or Nimmo. Yeah, for sure. I I do see some similarities in his swing with uh, with Cano too, and you know, obviously Cano is a big power hitter. Yeah, and I think having Cano on the roster definitely helped him out towards the second half of the season. And we really saw that when he got things going. Yeah, for sure. And his, his defense his defense picked up with his hitting as well. He became really a guy who could... I think the problem was... I forget which direction it was, but he had a real issue going, I think it was, to his left. And he really uh, he really improved on that as the year went on. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm just taking a look at some of his highlights here. Yeah, a lot of his highlights are him going to his left, and these games are the games against the White Sox, the games against the Indians towards the second half of the season. Um, but looking at his swing, his swing is very... Um, one that he sort of, I won't say closed himself off, but he's really an up-the-middle hitter, you know? And he's got the speed to work the gaps and put the ball on the ground. But I think... If you're the Mets, you have a guy that big, you see that the entire league is trying to hit home runs, you know, why not try to put yourself on a path to, you know, hit more home runs and become a real power threat that the Mets have really never had at their shortstop position? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think it really reminds us of what Reyes was in 2006, where there was some power in his bat, but he just never really was that guy. Yeah, no, definitely. Like you said, you know, this could be a whole new whole new chapter for men's shortstops. You know, Jose Reyes was, was definitely one of the greats. But, yeah, like you said, you know, he, he was very much a contact hitter for the most part. Yeah, and, you know, I think one of the we'll, – we'll move on and talk about – sort of circle back to what we talked about in the beginning with the MLB uh, – still trying to figure things out with some type of season they they had to put together you know if you're if you're the owners you know what do you think is the best thing to do for these players because there had to be a plan that they initially set out that they said all right we can do this but in reality this is what's going to happen what do you think is the best owner best path for these owners to move on yeah i mean that's that's something i've been thinking a lot about um I think they're definitely going to have to do without fans, at least for for the beginning part of the uh, the shortened season. Um, but that gets you thinking, you know, how are they going to? Obviously, if they're going to play those games, they're going to want to televise it or stream it or or something so the fans can watch. And 
that that got me thinking. You know, the the commissioner is trying to get more people involved with the, the MLB, get more fans, and that that gets me thinking. If he's going to be, you know, charging, you know, if they partner with Amazon to get streaming or you know whatever they might do, if they're going to have to you know raise prices significantly just to let people watch and stream games. You know that might hurt the, uh, the the fans of the MLB. You know that might really, you know, take the commissioner a step back. Yeah, what are, one of the things I think you have to do in this situation is you have to be innovative. So, first of all, if you're the if you're the Wilpons and you sit and you find out, all right, we're not going to be playing baseball with any crowds. So, what's the point of using City Field if we don't need to? Let's keep them in Florida. You know, it's all the owners. Let's keep our teams in Florida or Arizona, if that's where your spring training home is, and take advantage of your facilities and just use that. It's It seats enough, what, a 5,000, 10,000 crowd. You don't need all the workers that you would have had to pay to work at City Field. So I think it certainly makes things easier because everyone's living in the same spot. So, yeah, you know, sure. I think that's a way for them to go. Yeah, I, uh, I read that... Um... That Cuomo, yeah, he announced that uh, spring training can take place at City Field and uh, Yankee Stadium for the Mets and the Yankees. But yeah, like you said, you know, it's going to cost even more money to operate those stadiums than you know in Port St. Lucie and you know in Florida and Arizona. And you know, if the MLB is already losing so much money, you might as well try and, like you said, be innovative, be you know smart about it, and maybe downgrade the, the home stadium a little bit just to make, you know, at least a little bit more money. Yeah, or, you know, you can even do what, modify what the NHL has done. You know, they're using these hub cities, which they're still trying to figure out for the playoffs, but you take, you know, let's just say you take <clears throat> New York, right, and you have the you have Yankee Stadium, you have City Field, you have, you're just saying about all the professional stadiums around here, you have... Um, the Ducks, uh, the Long Island Ducks ballpark. You have uh, Rockland Boulder Stadium in Rockland County. You know, why don't you house these teams all within the specific area so you can have them play at all these different fields, you know, and you also allow people to be in the same place, all these teams to be in the same place so they don't have to travel from, you know, Houston all the way to New York. They can all be a bus ride away to go to each stadium. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. You know, obviously one of the big risks of this whole you know virus situation is yeah travel. You know, you don't want to be traveling through airports and you know putting yourself at risk. You know, if you're 15 minutes away from all of your games, it's like all right, you know, you're really decreasing the risk. Yeah, and I think especially with this innovation, is that if you're going to have empty stadiums, what I think. You, you, the MLB needs to do, which I don't, Rob Manfred really isn't this type of guy to do this. And Tony Clark probably the, isn't going to want the players to be seen this way either. But one of the things the NFL does so well with their NFL films is that they mic their players up and they embrace that sometimes they're going to say, they're going to curse, they're going to say, you know, things, they're going to talk trash, they're going to do all these things. Um, but those are, that's what makes watching NFL films or the sound effects or hearing these guys mic'd up. That's what makes it so great. Yeah, for sure. So, I, yeah, I would love to see, uh, 
you know, that done more in the MLB. You know, we started to see a little bit more of it, like, you know, especially in all-star games and, and home run derbies and stuff like that. But, yeah, like you said, the NFL does it, you know, in just regular season games. That, that really creates such a, uh, a strong connection with the fans. You know, I think that's definitely a route that the commissioner should look into taking. Yeah, and you and you look at, you know, the Terry Collins uh, ejection for the Syndergaard ejection. You look at what ha- you look at the Earl Weaver one from way back. Those things get a bunch of clicks. You can watch them over and over again. And why don't you, you know, why don't you figure out something that they can do with that? So, like HBO's Hard Knocks with the NFL, you know, bring HBO on board, mic these players up, get cameras in places you don't normally get them because of the empty stadiums. Embrace the fact that this is different. You know, bring in, you know, I don't know if Manfred's really the guy to do this, but bring in some, bring in the Barstool guys, bring in, they're innovative. They reach out to a young crowd, which baseball doesn't reach. You know, whether you like Barstool or not, they have a wide audience that if you give them unprecedented access like this, where you can hear conversations, where you can have a manager's ejection, where if a manager calls to hear the review or calls a review guy to figure out if they want to call it, you can immediately hear that on even ESPN. You know, you're bringing what the game would be like to the fans where you're going to get all of your money from. Yeah, no, that's for sure. I mean, that, you know, like you said, the whole ejection thing, I mean, that would bring a whole new level to the MLB. You know, that would bring in so many new fans who, you know, they might not be in it for the baseball. They might just be in it for the, for the, you know, tension and the drama of these ejections and these brawls and and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, it's more fans of the MLB then. Yeah, exactly. And you take advantage of what you have, you know, if you have MLB.TV, you, you, and you, you're going to be making money off of that. So why don't you, do little things, put a GoPro on the umpire's head, you know, put cameras at angles at the field level, which you don't get when you're watching the game on one camera on TV, you know, where you pay for these specific angles where I know that I think NBA on TNT had something like this, where you can have maybe a camera locked on every player. So if I wanted to just watch a Pete Alonzo feed, I can watch that. If I wanted to just watch what, uh, you know what Conforto's doing in right field. I can just watch that, and then on another on a split screen, I have the regular game action, and you have these guys mic'd up, and you do something that's innovative, so you're not being held back by all these revenue losses that you're getting from no fans in the audience. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I I, I do think it's promising. I am hopeful. You know, the MLB created that new. Uh new very interactive site where you can you know plug in a player and find you know every double he's hit every right. you know home run that Cody Bellinger has hit every strikeout that Jacob DeGrom has thrown so I think hoping that uh you know that's a sign of of good things to come yeah and that's the thing it's just figuring out how fans today interact like the NBA if Steph Curry hits a 35 foot three that's on their Twitter within a minute you know yeah. if Mike Trout hits a three-run home run to put the Angels up, you know, up one run in the bottom of the eighth. You don't see that on Twitter. The Angels account doesn't even put that up on Twitter. It's some random fan or some 
Angels fan that puts it up before the main accounts even get to it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. You know, when I'm, you know, if I'm trying to tune into like an out of state game or something, the first thing I'll do is is look up like tweets from like the fan accounts. I'll go on my CBS Sports app and look at the the Twitter feed. You know, I won't go to the, you know, like you said, I won't go to the LA Angels page and check for updates. I'll check for updates from just random fans. Right. And just even looking at the looking at the NBA Twitter, you know, they have they have polls, you know, I'm scrolling through it right now. They have a Joe Harris Q&A. They have NBA history retweets. They're showing highlights from a Lakers-Suns game back uh, when Steve Nash was still playing. And, you know, they're live tweeting these games as if they're actually happening right now. And then, meanwhile, take a look at the MLB Twitter and see, see what they're doing. Um, but even MLB, the, the guys who don't even aren't even affiliated like i don't know if you've seen eric sim on twitter or the pitching ninja on twitter you know things like that you know mlb you know they put out a tweet today they for ken griffey jr they put out a tweet on but all these are just retweets you know it's nba it's been constant tweets all day for the mlb it's like one an hour basically yeah yeah, I know the uh, the NBA for a while they were doing they yeah they, you said they were replaying you know the nineteen ninety six you know finals they were yeah. you know engaging with fans in that way and you know the MLB isn't isn't really engaging and interacting with the fans like that I mean obviously you have you know SNY you know replaying I, I know the other night they just replayed the nineteen eighty six series but you know they're not really the MLB themselves, they're not really broadening their horizons to reach out to the to the fans and engaging with them that much. Yeah, and I think the, the biggest thing is just engaging with the fans because, you know, the reason they love the NBA, the reason they love, you know, they love that fast-paced action, that dunk in your face, you know. And I think the MLB needs to embrace that instead of trying to force it to happen, which is kind of what they've done with the juiced baseballs. Yeah, you know, yeah, let, no, sure. let it happen. Make make a relay throw to get a guy at home plate. Make that make that beautiful, like a full court pass from Kevin Love to LeBron James was when they would do it together. You know, they have angles. They make it interesting. So something as basic as a full court pass looks beautiful when you put yeah. it on social media. It's getting retweets. People are talking about it. You know, it's hard to go a day without finding an argument on who's better between LeBron and. Michael Jordan. We should be having those same conversations between who's better, Mike Trout or Barry Bonds. Yeah, for sure. But that's but they don't. But it's not something that's as you know creative. You know, and not a, it's not something that they push for. You know, Mike Trout should honestly be on the same level as Michael Jordan in terms of advertising. Yeah. You know, or even LeBron. Mike Trout. I mean, again, Mike Trout isn't the type of guy who wants a lot of uh, attention, but. You should be putting this guy on a pedestal with the Babe Ruth, the Mickey Mantles of the world. You know, it's 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 a shame that they take you know guys like that and they don't put them on the pedestal they should be on. And then they make excuses for that they're not that Trout doesn't allow himself to be as marketable as Bryce Harper does. Yeah. You uh yeah you brought up Michael Jordan and with uh with everything going on with the Last Dance and his documentary. 
I mean, I can't help but think that maybe the MLB should kind of, you know, take notes and, and, you know, maybe not on Mike Trout, but on, on somebody, you know, they probably wouldn't do it on bonds because of the whole steroids thing. But, you know, that might be another avenue for them to go, you know, make this, this mini series, make this documentary on, on somebody, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and I think you gotta, you gotta look at your history and you can't try to, I don't know want to say deny it, but the MLB doesn't do anything about Bonds being the all-time home run hitter. So, I don't say embrace it, but understand that this is part of their history and show how what greatness is, really. You know, whether it was steroids or not, you know, it's, you know, steroids really is just keeping Bonds in better shape. It's not allowing him to hit baseballs into McCovey Cove and have the eye that he has at the that he had at the plate. Um and you just gotta embrace that history. Embrace what Pete embrace Pete Rose, you know? Pete you know, I think twenty years down the line, you embrace what happened with the Houston Astros and you you know, you allow documentaries to be made on that because twenty years from now people are gonna look back and say, Wow, I can't believe that happened or I remember where I was when I found out all about this. Yeah, for sure. You know, like people, like I remember where or I remember where I was when I saw Bonds break Aaron's record. Yeah. So I think they just need to embrace everything, and I think they just need to figure out a way to, even if it's just copy copy the same things M- the NBA does. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I one one thought that I had was uh the like we said the NBA does a lot more to engage with its fans than the MLB that's for sure um one thing that that really stands out to me watching the NBA is the the city edition jerseys you know i'm not saying the MLB should look into that but i mean that that's definitely a direct way of of really engaging with the fans and i think something in that same vein would really click with with MLB fans yeah and i think one of the accounts that actually does a good job for the MLB is the Cut4 account for MLB. I think they do a great job of putting out some content because really the content they put out is more more random baseball clips. And to me, that's really what's geared to the younger fans, but the problem is they don't post as much as uh, their MLB account does. Yeah. So I think... You know, they put up the other a thing the other day where they had Jesus and Miro watching, uh, watching Nick Swisher or with Nick Swisher talking about uh, I don't know what game they were watching, but it seems like they were talking about just the game in general and talking about how he pitched in the game. So I think when you bring in pop culture guys like that, you know, especially with Jesus and Miro guys who are big New York fans, big New York Yankee fans, you know, these guys pretty much are the definition of what New York is. Um, I think the more you do stuff like that, the more people are going to watch because that really, I'm looking at the responses on it, you know, they had the, and it got a lot of, it got a lot of good reviews. I mean, people love watching that sort of content, especially when you're in the situation they're in now. Yeah, for sure. Um, but who knows what's going to happen? You know, we'll, uh, we'll see what's going to happen with that, but. That's uh, that's a wrap on this week's edition of Fireside Mets Episode 2. Uh, I know we went about two weeks without putting one of the podcasts together, but 
you know, me and Jimmy are both students at Stony Brook. While I, I graduated, Jimmy still got a still got some more time left under his belt at uh, at Stony Brook. But um, our goal is to put one together twice a week, maybe a Wednesday and Sunday type of deal. And we hope you guys keep coming back for more. And hopefully, we have more uh, more things to talk about next week. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So for. For Jimmy, this is Daniel Marcel signing off and enjoy the rest of your weeks.